we're talking about joy today. And this is something that's been on my mind more recently because I have been, or had studied it a few weeks ago and realized that it is of much greater importance than I think I gave it credit for. So we're going to talk about how important it is, and then we're also going to talk about how ultimately the, the, the final goal and the greatest reward that we have once we get to heaven is joy with Christ. So we're going to talk about that, and we'll start by going to Matthew 25. That's the first scripture. So the first point we're looking at is number one that says the ultimate reward given to a faithful servant is joy with Christ. So that's in Matthew 25 and verse 23, but we will start in verse 14 in order to get the context to this. So Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So if we pause there, this is a parable that's basically teaching that Jesus is the man traveling to a far country who is Lord over his own goods. We are the servants to whom the goods are delivered. And the goods would be everything from your earthly life to your money, your time, your body, scripture, spiritual gifts, everything that's given to you in this life as a resource that's meant to be for the good of God's kingdom. That's what the goods are. Then if you start reading in verse 20, it says, So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You will fa you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. In simplest terms, a faithful servant is somebody who produces or gains more, ends up with more than what was originally given to him. And the reward that we finish with is it says, I will make you ruler over many things, then enter into the joy of your Lord. That's the final destination for a servant, faithful servant. When we all get to heaven, what we finish with is joy with Christ. That's the end game. And uh, Genesis 15.1 we'll turn to next. The point for that is that joy of relationship with God is our reward. So go to Genesis 15. So Genesis 15 in verse 1 says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. 
I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Again, do not be afraid, Abram. This is God speaking. He says, I am your shield. You could add, I am your exceedingly great reward. So in this verse, God is ultimately saying that he is the reward that Abraham receives. There is nothing else that God gives that is more a reward than simply receiving God himself. That's the point. God is the reward. And joy with him, according to Matthew 25, is the final destination. That's the part of the great reward. Yes. There, there are additional rewards that Matthew 25 talks about where he says, you've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things. So the being made ruler over many things is speaking to the fact that there are going to be rewards that have to do with responsibilities and uh, tasks, if you will, in the kingdom of heaven. But the ultimate reward, which is what we're talking about, today is just simply having God and a relationship with him. That's, that is the reward. There are other perks that go along with it, yes, but the reward is Christ himself. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Okay. So then, number two, all creation will glorify God in the end. Even unbelievers will, should say, give glory to God. You could also say glorify God. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14 is where we'll turn to. Now, I bring this up because sometimes when you ask yourself or ask another believer, you know, what's the point of existence? And we'll say, well, it's to glorify God. Now, that's true. Uh, but the point of being a believer isn't specifically to glorify God simply because you don't have to be a believer to glorify God. And this is a lot of th- something that a lot of people don't think about. The Bible says, and we're going to look at the scriptures that say it, that all creation is going to glorify God in the end, whether they're following God or not. So it doesn't make you special as a believer that you're better at glorifying God, because ultimately all creation will glorify him in the end. That's not really the main point. Um, The main point has to do with the unique relationship we have with God, and we'll get to that. But we'll start by reading this verse out of Habakkuk. So chapter 2, verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled. So this is, of course, the entire planet, all creation. Everyone will know the glory of God. Everyone will acknowledge it. Tie that in with Philippians 2. In verse 9, we'll start there. It says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is another example, just like Habakkuk, that says everyone will know God's glory, that every knee is also going to bow and acknowledge Jesus as king. 
So all of creation, whether they're in heaven or hell, is going to, in the end, give glory to God. So you're not any better at glorifying God as a believer. That's something all creation will do. What makes us, or our standing with God unique, has to do with our relationship, which is the next part of the point. That what makes the believer's relationship to God unique is that we will be able to enter into his joy and enjoy relationship with him. That's something that believers have that non-believers will not have. Uh, go to John chapter 15. Again, emphasizing that this the joy of relationship is, is the ultimate goal. John chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So this is Jesus' way of saying, why am I saying all this? What's the point of teaching you? What's the point of discipling you? What's the point of having you learn to follow me? The whole point, he says, is that we would have his joy, and that our joy in him, of course, would be full. That means the greatest amount of joy we can possibly have is what we're supposed to have, and that's ultimately what God's going to give us. And that's the whole point of knowing him, right? So Jesus is really big on joy. Um, moving forward. Hmm? He's very big on joy, yes. <laughs> it's important to him. Number three. So this section, we're going to talk about the benefits and why joy is important. The joy of relationship with God today helps us to do everything well. So up to this point, we've talked about how when, once we all get to heaven, we're going to have the joy of our master, the joy of Christ to its maximum capacity. But we also can have joy here. And a lot of believers sometimes will be so hopeful of the joy they're going to have in the life to come that they forget the importance of having joy here. This isn't just a future reality. This is something we're supposed to have now as well. Um, and that's, of course, why in John 15, Jesus says, like, I'm saying these things so that your joy can be full now. You know, he doesn't want it to just be later. Um, so we're going to talk about the benefits that shows us why it's important. And the first is that joy gives us endurance through hardships and persecutions. Uh, go to Hebrews 12, 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our example, and his joy enabled him to endure the cross. That's the point. Without joy, you can't have endurance. The only reason Jesus was able to endure what he went through was because of joy. So we're going to need to have joy if we're also going to be able to endure Another good one is Acts 20, verse 24. Paul is talking about the chains and tribulations that, that await him in his missionary journey, journeys, you could say. Verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me. His point is none of these hardships move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. 
and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul, similar to Jesus, says the only way I'm going to be able to finish my race and endure to the end is with joy. That's his point. Have to have joy. Um, Next point. Joy is part of what's needed for our service to be acceptable to God and for people to approve of us. This is an interesting one. Go to Romans 14 in verse 17. This is talking about serving God. He says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're focusing on righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, he says, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. His point is, if you're always walking in righteousness, peace, and joy, your service, your life will be acceptable to God and people will approve of you too. So if you're walking in righteousness, peace, and joy, people are going to say what that person's doing is good. How they're living is good. If you're ever not walking in righteousness, peace, and joy, it's going to be very difficult to live a life that's approvable to people and also acceptable to God. So if you're walking without joy, what you're doing for the Lord is not going to be very acceptable, nor is it going to be very approved by other people. So that makes joy very important for this life, of course. Can you read the, verse the what? Can the, verse? the verse, yeah. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Yeah. Um, Next one. Joy brings strength to obey God. I'll just keep reading too. People who stay in the grief of guilt because of their past disobedience will not have power to obey in the future. So we'll turn to Nehemiah for this, and I wanted to read a longer section because to get the whole context, or to understand, we kind of have to get the whole context. So go to Nehemiah. So this is the popular verse where we find the passage that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Uh, I think largely overquoted, but without understanding of the context. And the context makes that verse about a very specific experience that's really important to understand especially for the topic of joy so if we start in verse 1 8 of nehemiah yep Um, so what we're about to read this is a story of after 70 years of captivity in babylon the israelites are making their way back to jerusalem to rebuild it and resettle in the land of israel And they've come back in several waves, and by this point, they're really starting to make strides. The city's being rebuilt. But then Ezra, who's a scribe, uh, now says, okay, it's time for us to start reading the Bible again, basically, because if we're going to be back in Israel and we want to do this the right way rather than doing it the wrong way that our forefathers did, uh, then we got to obey the word. So they start reading the Bible for the first time again, and they're trying to reestablish themselves as a nation. And verse 1 says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in the front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, that's a long, a long sermon. 
<laughs> morning until midday, and he's just reading. Um, so Ezra the scribe took stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, I'm just going to skip all those names, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, all those guys uh, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they're reading it and teaching it so that everyone understands what they're reading. Uh, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now we'll pause there. The reason why everyone's weeping is because they knew they have spent the past centuries disobeying this all of their ancestors so now they're realizing man like we have really really messed up like this bible says to do all these things and we haven't been doing them for hundreds and hundreds of years so they're really sad about that right but the levites are saying don't be sad don't warn don't don't weep because this is a new beginning right then verse 10 nehemiah speaking said to them go your way eat the fat drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not worry, or do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring all the branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. So it's been a long time since the scripture has been obeyed like this. That's the point. So the whole talk about them making booths, the whole point is that it says all the people, the whole assembly that had returned from captivity obeyed the word together. That's the point. And in order for them to do that, Nehemiah said they needed strength from the joy of the Lord. They were weeping because of their past disobedience. Nehemiah is saying, if you want to be able to obey what we're reading to you, you have to have joy. So they were encouraged to be joyful. As a result, they were able together to obey what the word said. That's the point. Without joy, you can't overcome guilt of disobedience and the grief that goes with it. Um, so to reiterate, joy brings strength to obey God. That's the main point. Next one. Joy in our suffering 
allows us to bring joy to others in their suffering. So we'll go to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians 7, 4, and then we'll turn to chapter 1, verse 4 immediately after. So, chapter 7 and verse 4, Paul says, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. So, Paul is setting an example here saying, In all my tribulation, I have a lot of joy. I'm exceedingly joyful, right? Then you go to chapter 1. In uh, verse 4, he says that God comforts us in all our tribulation so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Paul's ability to have great joy during his tribulation and therefore comfort from God is what allowed him to comfort and bring joy to others in their suffering. So if you want to be able to help people when they're going through hard stuff, you got to be able to have joy when you're going through your hard stuff. Otherwise, you don't have a lot to offer other than pity. But pity doesn't help anybody unless they have solutions, right? So joy is very powerful as an example um, to bring joy to others, which immediately flows into the next bullet point that joy in our suffering is a great example to others. And Paul uh, affirms that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So we'll turn there. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So even though they became believers in much affliction, they received it with joy of the Holy Spirit. They became believers with joy of the Holy Spirit, and that made them examples to believers everywhere else. So if you want to be a great example to other believers, being joyful when you're suffering is really important. Another cool part, next point, is that joy is contagious, just like laughter, we say. It brings greater joy to others when we are joyful. So we'll be back in 2 Corinthians. We'll look at chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 3 says, And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Paul's point here is that if I'm going to have joy, the people that I love and care about having joy is really important for that. So if you're trying to have joy and you're around a bunch of people that are not joyful, it it wears on you. That's the point. And so he's saying, hey, as believers, one of the things that's going to make us have a lot more joy is if we're around people that are joyful, right? So that makes joy contagious. Uh, and then you also got chapter 7, verse 13. 
2 Corinthians 7, 13. It says, Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So this is similar words. Paul's saying they were given joy once they witnessed the joy that Titus had around the church. And what had happened here was that Paul was concerned for the Corinthians, so they sent Titus to the Corinthians to check in on them and see how they were doing. And apparently they were doing really well. So then Titus came back to Paul and said, hey, like the, the Corinthians are doing great. I'm super happy about it. And Titus is just ecstatic because he's so excited about the Corinthian church. And Paul responds to that, as far as we know, in prison with a lot of joy. And it refreshed him to know how joyful Titus was about the Corinthians. So that's another example of how someone else's joy brings joy to you. Um, so keep that in mind. All examples of the contagious nature of joy. Now, this one is one of my favorites, Colossians 2.7. Uh, the point is that the joy of thankfulness is needed in order to excel in growing spiritually. So go to Colossians chapter 2. We'll actually start in verse 6 to make sure we get a complete sentence here. Uh, it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it, that means in the faith, with thanksgiving. So if you want to abound in the faith, that means to excel, or in even simpler words, do really well. So if you want to do really well as a believer, you need to be thankful. And thankfulness is hand-in-hand hand with joy. If you're walking in joy and walking in gratitude constantly, that is specifically what allows you to do really well as a believer. That's what this verse in Colossians is trying to say. If you want to excel in your spiritual growth, gratitude, thankfulness, joy is critical to that. You need joy in order to grow. Put it that way. Next, as uh, joy is part of what, what's needed to keep us hopeful at all times. So go to uh, Romans 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to abound in hope or have a lot of hope, stay hopeful at all times, it's important that you're filled with all joy and peace in believing. Without joy and peace, you're not going to be walking with a lot of hopefulness. Right? All right, so last uh, bullet point on this section. Joy is a result of your belief in Jesus. Therefore, the level of your joy shows the level of your faith. Um, really important point here. Let's go to First Peter. First Peter chapter one. 
in verse 8, it's talking about Jesus. That Jesus, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you can rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This verse is trying to say that because of your faith in Jesus, you're able to have this exceeding joy. Without faith, you can't have joy. And he's saying that the evidence of your belief is the joy that you have. So if you have a believer who has no joy, then that's evidence that there's not a lot of belief there. Because if you truly believe, then it's as if you're presently experiencing Jesus even though you haven't seen him physically yet and that makes you rejoice that gives you joy so when you when you when you see a person that has great faith it is going to be automatic for them to have a lot of joy too because you can't have that kind of faith and also not have constant joy because even though you don't see Jesus it's like you have him here and that's a very joyful thing of course so a good measure of your faith is the measure of your joy. Keep that in mind. That's also, a, as a side note, um, important to remember that when you grow in your faith, when you grow in your patience, especially, that will bring you more joy. So like if, if you want to be a more joyful person, you can't just focus on trying to do joyful things because that's ultimately going to be a futile exercise if you're not also growing in the things that give you more joy. So if you're growing in your faith, that will give you more joy. If you're growing in your patience, that will give you more joy. So make sure you have a well-rounded growth because if you're not growing in your faith and you try to just, let's say, do a bunch of hobbies that you enjoy, well, that's not going to bring you lasting joy because that's not based upon your faith. That would just be based upon earthly things that ultimately pass away. So... Um, Overall, growing spiritually in general will give you more joy. So you can stay hopeful for that. All right, uh, section four. This is where we get into the relational piece of things. Do not read and obey the word because you feel like you have to. Do it out of the joy of knowing God, which is being closer to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, look at First John, chapter one. First John, chapter one, and we will read in verse four. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is one of the few scriptures you will find in the Bible where it says, here's why we wrote the Bible. So that your joy may be full. Very simple verse, few words. We gave you the Bible so you can be joyful. Now, if you're approaching the word when you read it from a place of necessity or obligation, it's not based on joy of relationship, it's just, like a commandment you feel like you have to obey. There's no joy in that. And if there's no joy in that, then you're missing the point of having the Bible to begin with. Right? So, remember this verse. The Bible was written so your joy may be full. 
So when you're reading the word, you should do it because you have joy in it and the joy that comes from knowing Christ. That should be your motive always. And then John 17, 3, we don't have to turn there, but that scripture says that eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the point of eternal life is relationship. It's knowing Christ, knowing the Father. And for this first section of 1 John says essentially the same thing, that we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we're writing about it so that you can have joy in it with us. That's the whole point. It's relationship with God, fellowship with him, and the joy that comes through it. And the Bible is meant to impart that to us. And we should be reading it um, with the intention to enhance that joy. Bullet points. As long as you try to give your time and works to God grudgingly out of necessity or obligation, you will be weak. I'll just read that again. If you try to give your time and works to God grudgingly out of necessity or obligation, you will be weak. And this comes from uh, principles of the law. Um, we'll look at Romans 7 real quick. Romans chapter 7, verses 5 and 6 says, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. If you sum it up, this passage is saying that if you're living under the obligations of the law or the letter, it arouses sinful passion, makes you weaker, more vulnerable to sinning. The law was based upon the premise that those who do what it says are justified by it. That is the definition of experiencing the law. It's you feel like you have to do something in order to be justified. So if you're approaching anything in life as a believer from the standpoint of, I have to do this in order to be approved by God, to be right, to be whatever, then you're living by definition under the law, and that says it will arouse your sinful passion. It will make it harder for you to serve God if you're trying to do it from a place of an I have to attitude. If you're in righteousness, peace, and joy, those are fruits of the Spirit, therefore that is living in the Spirit. If you're walking and approaching your the word and your obedience to it from a place of joy and peace and relationship, then you're free from the law, and as a result, you'll do well. You will succeed and excel. Um, the next one we'll look at is Galatians 5. That, that 2 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7, I just put that in there so you guys have it in your notes. We don't have to read it, but it's very similar to Romans 7. So you can turn to that one on your own time later but Galatians 5 4 I did want to read so Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 says you have become estranged from Christ you who attempt to be justified by law so just being trying to be justified by law again is I have to do this in order to be right then it says, you have fallen from grace. Now, remember that God's grace 
is his power and favor to be able to do what he says. So the point is, if you're trying to approach the word from the standpoint of, I have to do this in order to be right with God, it says that's trying to be justified by law, and the result is you'll be isolated from grace. So you're you're not even going to have power, grace, to do what the word says if you're approaching it from an I have to attitude. You're going to stay weak if you're not approaching it from the joy of relationship with God. So it's super important. Galatians 5.4 is so powerful for this, that you're estranged from Christ if you would try to be justified by works or law, and you've fallen from grace. You're not going to have grace if you're trying to do it in your own power. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. Yes. Mm-hmm. despite how I feel, because I know the purpose is going to set me free. Mm-hmm. And so I come come with my obedience as the purpose of that is so that I can be free, so that I can, you know, renew my mind. But I most of the time I'm doing it not out of like, it's more of an obedience thing. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it because I'm being obedient, not because I'm like, all, oh, I have all this joy, you know, and because I, I don't have those emotional Right. Because I'm trying to enter into just the fullness of the kingdom. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not doing it to follow the law. Yeah. Yeah. So am, does, does, am I doing it out of obedience from your perspective? Or, I mean, out of restraint, meaning... Obligation. Yeah. I would say the last part you added there, that you're you're doing it out of obedience so that you can walk in the fullness of the kingdom... I would call that you could you know, use different words if you're saying I'm obeying this even though I might not feel like it now because I know that it will be for my joy and peace and righteousness in the end. Then I would say that's still an accurate way of going about it. That's still good, you know. Um, yeah, this. I mean that that brings up an important point, which is that this doesn't mean you shouldn't read the Bible unless you're feeling really joyful <laughs> before you do it. Like it's not like you have to work up your joy before you read it. The point is that. You might not feel like it in the moment, but if you know that this is ultimately for the benefit of your, of your joy, your relationship with God, and your intimacy with Him, then yes, yeah, still be obedient to do it. You know, still renew your mind. The, all, all we're saying is don't do it thinking that you have to in order to be a good Christian or be justified or whatever words you'd fill in there, you know. Um, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. That, those kinds of attitudes. Yeah. Um, and there are practical things you can do to increase your joy practically. So, you know, this 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 doesn't mean that like, okay, if I want to have more joy, like all I got to do is just read the Bible. Well, of course, there's more to it than that. There is action you can take to increase your joy. And we'll get into that. That's in the last section. Um, but we'll finish this one up and then we'll get into that. So, Uh, The next bullet point I've written here that greater love is experienced by a cheerful giver. So when you look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, 
We don't have to turn there, but Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. In the immediate context, it's talking about people giving financially for the benefit of others. And he's trying to teach them, hey, don't don't give to other people if you're doing it from a place of uh, grudging necessity or obligation. Do it cheerfully as you purpose in your heart, right? And then he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this doesn't mean God doesn't love you if you don't give cheerfully. <laughs> the point is that you're going to experience greater love when you're giving cheerfully. So if you put yourself in the position of you're giving to God, you're, whether it's your money to obey something to, the word says, you could be giving your time, you could be giving your actions, giving your body in some sort of, sort of service to God or service to others. All of your life is really about giving to God. And God wants you to give of yourself cheerfully. He doesn't want you to do it out of this grudging necessity because that's under the law, right? And you're going to experience more of his love if you're doing it from a cheerful heart. That's the point. So it's a really great idea to work on doing things joyfully if you're going to feel more loved. That's the idea. Um, Okay, so then we'll get into the final section. Here's where we talk about the source of our joy. Our greatest joy in Christ will come from these two things. The first is knowing our salvation, ultimately that we've been saved from God's wrath. And the second is seeing loved ones obeying God. So we'll start with the salvation topic. Go to Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Luke chapter 10 in verse 20 says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's speaking to salvation. Uh, Your name being written in heaven is talking about your name being written in the Lamb's book of life, that you're, you're a believer, you have a place in God's kingdom. In this context, the, these certain believers, there's 70 of them, were healing the sick and casting out demons, and they came back with a lot of testimonies, essentially, of how many demons they cast out, so on and so forth. And it says they came back to Jesus rejoicing, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus told them, I don't want you to rejoice in what God has made you able to do, such as healing the sick or casting out demons. He's saying, I want you to rejoice in the fact that you're a child of God, and that you have a place in God's kingdom. That's why you should be rejoicing. The reason why is because there can be times where you don't see a lot of miracles, or you don't see a lot of sick healed, or you don't see a lot of demons cast out. And if your joy is attached to what God lets you be able to do regarding certain miracles, then when times come where there aren't a lot of miracles, then you're also not going to have a lot of joy because you're attaching it to works that you can do, right? But when it comes to your name being written in heaven, that's something that God will never take away from you. Um, so that will always give you joy if you're always focused on that. So keep, keep your focus on your salvation and the gift that it is, not on the works that you can do. Uh, so now we'll look at Romans 5, verse 11. It says, And not only that, but we also rejoice in God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ because from the Lord Jesus, we have received reconciliation with God. That's the same thing as your salvation. You've been restored to a relationship with God, and that causes you to rejoice. Also, your salvation. So, knowing your salvation gives you joy. The second of seeing loved ones obeying God, this comes from 3 John. We'll go there. 3 John. Small book, right before Jude. Verse 3 says, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Again, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. There's a cross-reference that's good for this. I don't know the exact reference off the top of my head, but it's in Proverbs where Solomon says that uh, a foolish son is grief to his father and shame to his mother. Then it says, but a wise son is his father's joy or his rejoicing. And John is probably referencing that proverb when he says this because he's saying he views other believers that he's led to Christ as his children. And then he says that it's a lot of joy for me to know that my children are walking in truth, just like the Solomon in Proverbs says that it's a father's joy to see his children walking in truth. And it's his grief to see his children walking in foolishness. So children doesn't necessarily have to be just your biological children. That's, of course, included. But it also just means other believers. Um People that you've led to Christ that you're discipling, it can be just fellow believers, friends of yours in the church. Anybody that you care about because they're your family biologically or your family in Christ uh, will bring you more joy if they're walking in obedience to God. So if you're lacking joy, practically speaking, it's a really good idea to be involved in helping other believers become more obedient, helping other, other people get saved. Uh, helping lead your biological family members to Christ. Because when you put efforts into seeing other people born again and seeing them become obedient to God, you're going to be contributing to your own joy when they start walking in obedience. And that's the point of what John is trying to say, that you're going to have great joy from your loved ones being obedient to God. So if you want to have more joy, encourage them to be more obedient and and help them grow in, uh, in the faith. So what we'll finish with, if you continually remind yourself of your salvation, and if you work to help others be obedient to God, you will have great joy. In this great joy, you will be able to serve God faithfully. And in the end, your faithful service will be rewarded with entering the unimaginably greater joy of Christ in the kingdom of God forever. So if you have joy here, you're going to serve well, and for serving well, you're going to be given much greater joy in the kingdom to come. So prioritize your joy. It's important. 
be joyful, help other people be joyful, and you'll do well. Yep. Can I do cross references? Mm-hmm. Um.